you have a question about your home? Call Ken the Contractor. But what makes a shingle a 40-year shingle, say, as opposed to a 20-year shingle? Let's say one of the obvious elements will be the thickness of the shingle, the thickness of the wearing surface as well. If you compare, if you put them side by side, a basic three-tab shingle that may have a 25-year warranty on it, and you're looking at a 40-year shingle, you're going to find the thickness. Now, also, if you read the technical side of the technical bulletins or information that's on the, the manufacturer's data sheets, you're going to find that the weight of them increased tremendously as you go up in number of years for warranty. Do you have a question about your home inside or out? Call Ken the Contractor. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another hour of Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. You can always reach him at 800-614-2975. Or don't forget, you can also forward your questions to our website. That's KenTheContractor.com. Generator safety, storm damage cleanup, how about some repairs and insurance tips? All of those things are at the top of the news today around the country, and we need to spend a little bit of time talking about each of those so that we're doing some things in proper order and keeping ourselves and our families safe and secure in our homes. One of the first things I want to talk to you about today deals with generator safety because generators have been moving faster than hotcakes up and down at least the east coast of the U.S. over the last few weeks, and will continue to as we move from hurricane season into snow season. We've already seen snow in the Midwest and other areas where we have power outages. What we understand is across this country is we are obviously happy with our creature features, number one being electricity. So the first thing we tend to do is move to purchase a generator if we don't own one anytime we have major storms ready to hit our area. And unfortunately, people operating generators are not always doing them in the safest fashion. There have been 755 carbon monoxide deaths, according to the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission and the United States Fire Administration, in the last several years, all related directly to improper use of generators. Now, folks, I can't emphasize this enough to you, but the exhaust from gas-powered generators contain high levels of poisonous carbon monoxide, and that, unfortunately, can quickly incapacitate and kill an individual or groups of people within minutes. Now, generators, number one, should only be used outside. They need to be not just outside, but they need to be far away from the homes. Never, never, never run a generator inside a house, inside your basement, inside your garage, inside a shed, or near your windows or vents. And I know some of you are saying, well, we always run our gen set outside. But have you paid any attention to whether you have bathroom or kitchen exhaust vents near where that happens to be? Can the carbon monoxide come back in your home? So I want you to pay particular attention to this for any of you that are currently operating generators or will have the need to do so in the near future. Where is that placed and are you keeping yourself and your family safe? The other thing, for a lot of you living in, in just close neighborhoods, you need to be sure you haven't moved it away from your house and shoved it up under the window or a vent near your neighbor's home. This can be extremely dangerous. We do not want you to be a statistic. Some other things you have to keep in mind when you're operating a generator is you can't use your standard extension cords. And I know all of you are saying, but I've got 25 of these six-foot-long extension cords that I use for my Christmas lights and I use inside the house for the sewing machine. Folks, those are not rated to be run long distances. The longer the distance is from the generator to your power on the inside, that wire heats up, it cannot carry what you're trying to pull out the other end. It can short out and it can cause a fire. Someone can be electrocuted. Another item that people have sort of a false sense about is that it's just a generator. I can't be harmed or injured. 
It's the same electricity that you're getting from the power company when the power is working properly. So I assure you that you can be electrocuted by using a generator if you're doing it improperly. And the fact that you're sitting these outside, if you're doing it right, the fact that you are typically in a wet or a damp environment lends itself to being even a little more hazardous than ordinary circumstances. So above all, I want you to be careful, one, about the carbon monoxide where you're placing the generator. I also want you to recognize that you need to use heavy gauge extension cords designed to plug into a generator and designed to carry the various appliances that you might have 50, 100 feet away from that unit that you're trying to power inside the house. That will keep you and other items safe. Now, some of the warning signs. You're saying, well, maybe I felt this way before. If you have, maybe you need to look around. Maybe you need to have a carbon monoxide detector placed in your home because that's one of the recommendations from NFPA and others. If you operate any device like this, you should have carbon monoxide detectors inside. Warning signs if you're feeling sick, dizzy, or weak while you're using the generator, get to fresh air right away. Don't stop. It doesn't take but a few minutes for you to become unconscious and this to become a serious issue for you. And generators, as I said, pose a serious risk of shock and electrocution, so just don't take them for granted. They do a great job. Uh, they do something that uh, they provide us with the services that we need when we're dealing with storm and power uh, storms. They create power outages. But use it properly, folks. That's the best thing I can say for you. Now, I want to go to another item and talk a little bit about some things that a lot of you are dealing with, just some quick insurance tips. And I hope you do this or have done this, whether you're preparing for a storm or you're dealing uh, with one that's imminent. At this point, you want to keep photographs of your home inside and out pretty current on a regular basis, and you want to have them stored off-site. This will help you in the event you have an insurance claim, settling up claims with the insurance company. You can show them exactly how it looked perhaps just a few months prior to this storm, especially if you've made improvements to the home during this past summer or early in the spring, and you may have added it to your insurance policy in terms of the dollar amount, but perhaps you did not have a detailed inspection by the insurance company. Always good to maintain those photographs. A lot of tree damage existing in various parts of the country at this point. And uh, if you're out there hiring folks to clean up tree limbs that have come down, trees that may be leaning and have to be removed, what you need to know that the mortality rate among those that work in the tree removal business is higher than police officers nationwide. It's about 30 per 100,000. And I say that to make a point that removing trees, cutting limbs, is a very dangerous business, one of the most hazardous in the country. Be sure, not just with tree removal companies, but with all contractors, that you have certificates of insurance, especially especially workers' compensation, because in many states, many of our listing areas, if someone's injured on your property working for you, you could be liable for them for life. You don't want that to be a problem that you have to deal with. You want to see a certificate of insurance. So just some quick things for you to keep in mind for all of you that, unfortunately, may be dealing with some storm damage. Let me ask you a quick generator question as there are people listening to us. And maybe they can't afford a whole house generator, but they want to get one of the smaller portable generators. How much can you reasonably expect for that to be able to carry you through, let's say, a limited period of time, a couple of days, maybe not 10 days, but for a couple of days. If I've got a big freezer that I just filled up with beef or something and we want to keep a TV on or if it gets cold enough at night, some type of heating source, how big a generator do you need to be able to give you more than just you know the TV and a couple of lights? Well, I'll tell you, to start with, if you're looking to power several items, you probably want to move up into at least a 3,500-watt range. A 5,000-watt range will typically come with two 20-amp circuits, maybe a 220. You're going to be able to handle quite a few of the things, not all at one time, 
but many of them may be refrigerator, basic lighting, radio, TV, some basics for a period of time. If you want to drop down to something more manageable, you're looking at maybe a 2,500 watt. They're lighter. They're easier for most people to carry and handle. You're typically going to get at least a single 20-amp circuit on that. That'll take care of your free refrigerator, maybe your freezer, some low amperage uh, radio, maybe even a small TV, and a microwave. Microwave can be key for cooking if you don't cook with gas. Very much so. All right, coming up this hour on Ken the Contractor, coming up about a half hour from now, Ken will tell us about what? A new home improvement theme park. That's what's in the news. And one-on-one, and Ken will tell you about fuel-efficient gas fireplaces. That's coming up this hour on this edition of Ken the Contractor. You can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975 or email your questions to our website, KenTheContractor.com. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us this weekend here with Ken the Contractor. I'm Jim Brett along with Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor. You can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or email your questions to our website, KenTheContractor.com. We go back to the phones, and joining us now from Charlottesville, Virginia, is Melva. Hi, Melva. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Thank you, Ken, for taking my call. Glad you could call us. How can we help you? Um. Well, I have a question regarding, um, I recently replaced my old air conditioning and gas furnace, which is situated in my crawl space. I had a AC Sear 13 and a gas furnace uh, 80 few. Now, I upgraded the um, uh, furnace to a few of 19 plus and a new humidifier. Now, question is, since I have this new furnace that's more heat efficiency, supposedly, uh, I've had more water coming to the outside than I had with the old system. Is this normal excess water may cause moisture in my crawl space, also the freezing part of it that becomes saturated? Okay, you, it sounds like you have moved up to a 90% plus efficient gas furnace. Is is that correct? Right, and okay. also I have a humidifier, and of course I have the Sierra uh, 13 AC, that's the compressor that's right. outside. Okay, well let's talk about the heating side for just a moment, because what you're seeing is not uncommon. I do want to caution you about a couple of things, and it doesn't sound like you, you have a problem, but I do want you to be aware of a couple of items. First off, there's a big difference in an uh, an 80% efficient gas furnace and a 90-plus efficient gas furnace. And part of that is just in the amount of condensation that's produced because of the combustion. When you get into the high-efficiency equipment, the gas furnaces, you will find that they have some heat exchangers inside them. You'll also find that instead of using a metal flue to vent those, that they're typically vented with PVC pipes. Now, your new furnace, if it's 90% plus efficient, probably has a blower motor on the top of it tied to some fans going to the outside. Are we talking the same type unit, or do you know? Well, let me see. Okay, this is this is what I see on the other side of my house. And, of course, I've, I've been down there in the crawl space when they completed it. Now, for venting the gas furnace for the, um, well, I guess the... Uh, Fumes from the gas furnace itself, they have a big flu-like thing coming outside of the outside of my house. It's going and through the wall, though. It's not it, through the roof. No, no, no. It's out through the wall. Okay, and is that... I have a one-story house. Okay, and is and that... A crawl a, space. Is that a plastic or a PVC-type pipe? It's not a metal pipe? Oh, uh, well, this... this uh, 
It's a plastic type thing. Okay. But now, as far as where the condensation from the water comes, uh, that's a PVC pipe. And what I suggested them do, and rather than saturating my ground there, uh, they have now used a PVC and put it into my gutter drain that's on the ground that's going to go out to the street. I think you're doing everything right. First, when you go to the high-efficiency units, they do produce a great deal of moisture, and that's normal as long as it's being discharged to the outside. And but and your, your humidifier is also going to produce moisture because what does not go into the air inside the house discharges to the exterior. So if you put a humidifier in for the first time to raise the level of humidity in your house, you're going to see some of that discharge. It becomes wastewater, basically, during the winter months. So you've got two items that you're not accustomed to seeing, uh, it sounds like. Yeah. One is the, the, the byproduct, uh, the moisture from the high-efficiency gas furnace. It should be discharged to the outside, and you're right to have them take it away from your basement or your foundation, and it sounds like you've done that. I had a humidifier on the old system also. Okay. Now, does the humidifier, supposedly like nature does, if you have humidity in the outside in the summertime, if you add the humidity, it makes it feel a little warmer. Does the humidifier also give you that uh, extra uh, plus in addition to it being more uh, health-wise? Is that true? Well, it will it, it will allow you to feel a little bit warmer in the winter months because you've got some density, if you will, to the air and the moisture. The heat tends to, the best way I can put it is cling to that, if you will. So you could feel a little warmer. Many people have told me that, and I, I have humidifiers in my home and will, will feel that way as well. You want to be certain, and I mentioned this for our listeners because you may know this, but to be sure in the summer months, though, that you turn that humidifier off when you have oh, yes. the air conditioning on. Yes, yes. Well, uh, does, the air, does the humidifier run all the time, or does it just get to the level that I request? I have it set on 35 now, which is that's what it says I should be. Okay, if you've got it set at 35%, it will run only when the air handler's on, only when you're actually blowing air through the ductwork. But... If it has satisfied that humidistat, if you've reached a 35% saturation or point in your home, then it closes. there's a valve in it that shuts the water flow off, and it no longer puts humidity in the air. Melva, thank you. We do appreciate your call. Uh, we've got time to sneak in an email question from KenTheContractor.com. This one comes to us from Marjorie out of Asheville, North Carolina. said, what's the best way to get skilled help for a small job? said, we need to install a large hood with vent in our kitchen, and we want it done right. But the job appears to be too small for contractors to fool with. Well, this can be an issue for a lot of us around our home, but fortunately, Marjorie, you're talking about something that really should go to a specialty trade, and that's what they deal with. If you're talking to general contractors, most are not going to fiddle with this, and that's exactly what you have found out. I want you to go to a mechanical or HVAC contractor. Now, these are people that specialize. The HVAC, by the way, is heating, ventilation, and air conditioning. So in most areas, they're referred to as HVAC contractors. And I want you to go to one or two of those. You can solicit some bids, but you'll find these companies that will be glad to take care of installing your ductwork and installing your hood. And be sure that it's done properly. If your area requires permits, 
You've got electrical wiring to be brought to it. You've got the proper ventilation. Any air makeup, if this is a large hood, they will do it by the book. They're pros at it. You're going to contract with someone, and I want you to check on this to be sure they're licensed and they're insured and get everything in writing. But that's where you need to go for help with something that's a small job like this when it's a specialty item. You know, that is interesting because I think oftentimes folks are looking for someone to do a job, and if it doesn't present itself immediately, you got a plumbing problem, you call the plumber. Uh, you've got an electrical problem, you call an electrician. But what happens if it falls into one of those gray areas, uh, as I think Marjorie's particular case does here, who exactly do I call? What's the best place to start if you're not sure who to call to deal with the project? Well, that's partly what we're here for. You can call us, you can email us, and we'll point you in the right direction. If you're in one of those gray areas, and in her case, the HVAC, the heating, ventilation, and air conditioning contractor, is a specialty trade that deals with exactly what she needs to have done around her home. They're experts in that area. Mechanical contractors and, and other ones. And, and I see this a lot of times, too, when folks have something that is not a large project... And it is difficult at times to get some of those folks, particularly if those folks are busy. Now, there are other folks who will, you know, jump after almost any job that, that's presented, but you got other folks who right now are doing very well, and it's tough to get them uh, to respond unless you've got a job of a certain size. In most communities, there are contractors that are not specialty in the sense of doing just air conditioning or electrical, but there are handyman services, if you will, that are properly licensed and insured. Now, these are folks that can take projects to a certain level, but if you get into something very complex, they're going to tell you you need a specialty trade. So for those of you dealing with small things, you've got lock sets that need adjusting. You've got a door to hang. You have items that a general contracting company won't fool with. That's a good place to start. But again, Always be sure they're licensed and insured and you get the quote in writing. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. Don't forget you can friend us on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow us on Twitter at Ken Answers. Email your questions to KenTheContractor.com. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. This is Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. A house is what you build. A home is what you make it. You can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975 and email your questions to our website, KenTheContractor.com. While you're there, you can check out Ken's toolbox. That has a lot of helpful home improvement information for you and also podcasts of recent programs. Right now, though, time for this week's edition of One-on-One with Ken the Contractor. Each week, Ken brings you information about products and services from companies and experts he interviews during his travels, all to make your life better, provide options, and save money. My next guest is Don Kaufman. Don is with Linux Hearth. Linux is a name that a lot of us will recognize, but maybe not as much the hearth. And I'm going to have you explain that a little bit. Don, welcome to the show. Well, thanks so much, Ken. We're thrilled to be here. Tell us a little bit about the hearth side of Linux, Linux hearth. Well, as you know, Linux is Linux Industries, which is, of course, one of the leading suppliers of heating and air conditioning equipment in the United States and has been for close to 130 years. What most people don't know is that we've been in the hearth industry with companies that go back uh, 75, almost 80 years now, and we've been together under the Linux banner uh, since the early 1990s. So we are one of the leading suppliers of fireplaces, wood stoves, pellet stoves, and also chimney uh, in the United States and also in Canada. So some items you want to talk specifically about, and I think that has to do with fireplaces, fireplace components. Tell us some of the things that, if they're not seeing them now, we'll be seeing in the marketplace. As you probably know, the market has changed several years ago from predominantly wood product to gas products. So what we're displaying are some exciting new gas fireplaces. We are under a mandate from the Department of Energy to get the efficiencies 
of gas fireplaces up so that gas fireplaces can be considered an important part of the home, not just from ambiance, but also from a heating perspective. So we're showing some new products here that uh, we have uh, worked on to make sure that not only are they beautiful and efficient, but that they are also good heaters that people can count on to heat the important areas of the home, that is, their family rooms. Gas fireplaces have been on the market for some time, but I don't think that most of us think about the energy efficiency of them. And I I heard you mention that in your phrase a moment ago, energy efficiency. If we were dealing with open hearth fireplaces with gas logs, you're actually looking at high BTU users. Some of the gas log sets run 75 to 120,000 BTUs per hour. And with an open chimney like a wood-burning fireplace would have, uh, some of those units are lucky, lucky to produce efficiencies in the range of 35 to 40 percent. And what that means is all the heat's either going outside, it's not going into the room, you're certainly not getting the BTUs per gallon or pound of fuel, depending on how it's being fueled, but you're not getting the maximum out of that. It's going back outside. Well, not only that, but it also brings with it those open-fronted appliances, a lot of room air that you've already paid to heat with your furnace. So the net loss is not a good story. Now, we had focused on that for a number of years by creating gas fireplaces called direct vent gas fireplaces, where they had sealed fronts and where 100% of the combustion air for the fireplace came from the outside, and all of the flue products, of course, went back to the outside. And that created a significant improvement in efficiency with many of the products then up in the 50 and low 60% range. And by a measurement, we use a term called AFUE. For anybody in the heating industry, they know that term means annual fuel utilization efficiency. It is an agency-conducted test. They don't just ask me, hey, Don, what's the efficiency of your fireplace? They literally have a set of test standards that everybody is tested to and compared So it's an honest comparison. It's a uniform yardstick in the industry. Absolutely. So what happened now is the Department of Energy is focusing on getting those AFUE numbers up higher so that moving ahead in 2014, depending upon the BTU input of the product, the AFUE efficiencies will begin around 64% and go up higher into the 68 to almost 70% range. Now, that is a significant improvement for a consumer. It's a little different than I anticipated because, candidly, I've never asked that question about the efficiency of a gas fireplace, and I don't think many people do. It's more about style. It's more about look. Where we do ask that is where we have gas heating, and we look at units that have come from the 70s to 80s today, high efficiency, 92% efficient in gas furnaces, and and Linux is involved in that as well. But we're talking fireplaces. The trend continues to be up, but we're still not at the same level as the heating, but again, think about what we're what we're doing. It's well, that's an important point, and I'm glad you raised that. Because with a heating system, we have the furnace somewhere centrally in the home, and we're using a ducting system to deliver heat throughout the uh, home, and there is some loss in transmission. With a fireplace, we are right in the family room. We're open. To we're open, everything. and you're close to it, and therefore, even though the efficiencies may be somewhat lower, there's no loss in delivering that heat to the room, and therefore people get exactly what you said. They get the ambiance, they get the beauty, they get the romance of the fireplace, and they get a unit that's efficient enough that they can lower their thermostat and actually save on the overall energy package of the home without bringing on a furnace that, quite honestly, is designed to heat the entire home. But most of us, from 4 to 8 at night, are centered in the family room or the kitchen, which is a great location for a fireplace. 
We're excited today because we are introducing a brand new fireplace. One of the trends that we've been seeing is towards more contemporary fireplaces where no longer are the fireplaces simply packed with logs, but now we have burners that come up out of glass, burners that uh, where the flame appears through a reflective porcelain base, and they're incredibly beautiful, but also the shape of the fireplace has changed from the traditional rectangle to a longer linear fireplace, where it takes up a longer section of your wall, and it is just beautiful. They're designed to be elevated in the wall. The product we're introducing is called the Rhapsody. It is absolutely a stunning fireplace, but very efficient has a blower, has a standard remote, and the other key movement in in becoming more green and more energy efficient was we got rid of those standing pilots. So this unit has an electronic ignition system that can save $12 to $18 a month on the gas bill, also has a battery backup system, so if the power should fail for any reason, what you get now is a battery. You just walk over, turn your fireplace on, and suddenly you have a device that will keep that center of your home warm, even though the furnace may not be operating or able to operate for a few hours or perhaps even a day or so. This is one of the, the key features that you want to be sure people understand. We want them to see this product because it's great. It sounds outstanding to me. Now, how do our list learn more about this product? Where do I go? You know, you go to our website. We've got a terrific website with all sorts of e-learning information on all of our products. Go to www.lenox.com. You'll see a link for Hearth, and just click there. It'll link you with uh, more information and also with our dealer network. Don, we're glad you could be with us today. It's always exciting to learn about new products, especially this type of technology, looking at the energy efficiency and the beauty, the design options that are there today. We need to spend some time with the Linux site. Well, Thanks so much, and uh, we, we hope all your listeners will tune in to us. We thank you for being here. That's this week's edition of One-on-One with Ken the Contractor. As Ken brings you information about products and services from companies and experts he interviews during his travels, all to make your life better, provide options, and save money. While we have the opportunity, we always remind you uh, that when you're out looking for products for your projects this weekend or any time, to look for the Made in America label. You're going to find that little USA flag in many cases on the box. If nothing else, you're going to find it on the label on the shelf that it's on. Manufacturers as well as retailers are really into this. They understand they want to do their part to help employ people around this country and to sell American-made products. We're looking at quality. We're looking at price. We're looking at service. Some things we don't don't get when we're traveling halfway around the world, folks. So buy American. If you have a question about your home inside or out, you can always reach Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor at 800-614-2975. Friend us on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow us on Twitter at Ken Answers. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. This is Ken the Contractor, the program that deals with issues that are important to today's homeowner. You can be part of our program by asking Ken a question at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or email your questions to our website, KenTheContractor.com. And now, in the news this week, is this true? A home improvement theme park? It is exactly what you see. A new home improvement theme park called Main Street America is set to open this fall, 
shortly, just a matter of next few weeks, featuring a new way for customers to shop for new homes, home improvement products, and home services. Guys, this is a theme park for adults. You can bring the kids, but this one's really laid out for adults. This is a 14-acre theme park, and it features the latest home improvement and product education shopping experience, and entertainment for area customers. So for those of you that may not live in or around Houston, what I'm going to tell you is you're going to see more of these coming across the country. What we're introducing or what we're talking about really is, I think, a new way of buying homes. Now, the Main Street America will open here, as I said, shortly within just the next few days. It's the only perpetual showcase of homes of its kind in the country, according to the founder and CEO, Michael Feagan. Now, the featured showcase will range in size from approximately, get this, 1,800 square feet to over 6,000 square feet. So there's going to be a home of size for almost every person out there today, representing a variety of American styles and architecture. There are a total of 12 models along with a two-story and a 45,000-square-foot guest center that has been under construction for about 15 months. Now, all of this is slated for opening soon. From Old World Mediterranean to Contemporary Modern, the park will feature a wide range of architectural styles, interior decor, and square footages, as I mentioned. Not only that, will you be able to see the new products that are built into homes, but these will be furnished. So you'll be able to see various furnishings, fabrics, finishes, some of the things we've talked about on this show that are going to be hot for 2013. So if you're in the region, you might want to check them out. That's the new home improvement theme park in and around Houston. One thing I can tell you is to expect more of these around the country as the home market picks up and as we see a new generation of home buyers with a new way to shop. Let's go to the phones right now at 800-614-2975. It's Austin. Austin, you're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Go right ahead. Okay. Hi, Austin. My son and I built a house here in 95, and it was right on top of a little mountain, and it was rock shale. And when he backfilled his, his spaces around my foundation, uh, you know, not tight, I've been thinking about putting something down there. Around the, I was thinking about hot tar, but that would drip down into a, a drain tile. You got anything in mind that could seal this parts around this house? I don't want to be sure I'm following you. Your issue is waterproofing the foundation or the basement area. It's not conveying the water away because you just said you have a drain tile in place. So am I understanding you correctly? You're looking for a waterproofing agent? I'm looking to keep water from going down beside the building, the house. Okay. Well, first off, foundations, and I don't know whether you did this or had it done when the home was built, should have had a waterproofing applied to the, if it's a basement, to the basement walls. If it is just a crawl space, then the building code does not require crawl spaces to be waterproofed. And I think it's a good practice because it helps prevent added moisture from getting inside that crawl space. But to answer your question directly, the only way I know to resolve what you have now is going to be to pull that soil back out and actually touch the surface of that foundation and apply a proper waterproofing membrane. Now, if you're saying, I don't have a major problem, it's not worth spending the money or bringing the equipment in to do that, then you may want to look at adding a surface, a a drain tile closer to the surface that will convey that water and move it around so it can't build up. Now, Austin, it sounds like you're trying to fill that space between the uh, the ground and the foundation. Is that right? There's pockets in there. Just, you know, it doesn't leak in my basement. I got, I got okay. some, just too much water, I think. Kind of ponding up around the foundation? 
if, if that's all you've got, then you simply can add some soil to that. You can add some clay to that, build it up so that you're high, you're higher at your foundation wall than you are around the perimeter grade and the water will flow away from it. You've had some settlement. But again, if you're dealing with any type of waterproofing, that's going to be difficult to deal with from the surface. So you have several options. And one will be to elevate the grade and that will be the easiest, the quickest, and the cheapest for you to do so that the water flows away from the house. Secondly would be to introduce a drain tile or drain pipe closer to the surface because you said you've got one down below. That would collect the water and move it around as well. What would you suggest putting in there? Are we talking about stone? Are we talking about well, topsoil? It, 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 you can't use stone, though. I mean, stone is going to be porous, and you're still going to let the water come through. That's why I said fill those holes with clay. You said you've got a shale backfill. So, but I'd take some additional clay, bring those up, and then top them with topsoil so you can get your plants, your grass, whatever to grow around it. But put that clay in and get it tightly compacted. That will help shed the water. What about the foam, expanding foam? It's not going to do very well for you because it's not going to bond to the surrounding clay material that's there. It, by itself, it will repel water if you're filling an opening. That's great. But to use it to fill in a cavity, you're going to find water will still get under it and around it. So you've really wasted your time and money with that. Austin, we hope that helps you out, and we do appreciate your call. Don't forget, if you have a question for Ken, you can always reach us at 800-614-2975. But if you don't want to be on the radio and want to forward your question to our website, you can. It's KenTheContractor.com. Georgia comes to us from Huntsville, Alabama, says we're trying to save and restore a very old knotty pine floor. There's one small section that we'll have to replace. How do we find matching planks? Great questions. A lot of people deal with this from time to time. First thing I want you and everybody else in a similar situation to consider is having the product custom made. Now, most of us don't think about this. We think about having to go to the local lumber supplier, hardwood floor company, and say, now I've got to match something that's quite old. Even if it's just 10 years old, it's going to be very difficult. And if you have something that's 40, 50, 60 years old, it will be next to impossible. But almost every listener out there lives near a company that will custom produce not only uh, hardwood floor items, but millwork, trim for your doors, around your windows, and so forth. So, Georgia, I want you to take a piece of the flooring that you have, and I want you to find one or two of these companies in your area that will custom mill this, not only to the width, but the thickness, and will be able to select from the same wood. Now, you're restoring, so that tells me that you're looking to strip and refinish this knotty pine floor. That by itself is going to be a big help because you're not going to find the pine itself to be exactly the same color as something that was many years uh, past. So take that. You can have it milled. Give them an example of the wood that you have. If you happen to have a piece, an extra piece, or one you can pull up in a closet, they can see the color, the tone of the wood itself, the pine, and perhaps do a little better job of matching that when they mill it. Then when you put it back down, if you're saying it still doesn't look great and you've only got a small section, then I'm going to encourage you to pull up about twice that area and then randomly mix both the old boards with the new, strip those and refinish them. And your finisher, if you're hiring a professional, can also do a little something to help put maybe a little added color, if that's what's needed, in these new boards so that when it's all said and done, it looks great, looks like it's been there for 50 years, but you have a nice new sheen to that. So I want you to think a little bit about that. There are people all over the place that can custom build these products for you. Good luck with that, Georgia. I know that's the biggest hesitancy I think people have in a lot of these projects. They'd like to either replace something that's failing or would like to just improve it as it may have diminished over the years. It's that it, that's going to be that one board in a deck or floor or something that's just going to stand right out. And there's one word I've said that scare a lot of people, and that's custom, because typically when you hear the word custom, the first thing that sounds off in your mind are dollar signs, and you're saying, oh, this is going to be cost prohibitive. 
you would be surprised when it comes to finding just a few components how affordable it can be to preserve everything else that you're looking to hang on to. That'll wrap up this hour of Ken the Contractor. If you have a question about your home inside or out, you can always reach Ken at our number. That's 1-800-614-2975. That's 1-800-614-2975. Or online at KenTheContractor.com. Do you have questions about your home inside or out? KenTheContractor.com is all you need to know. I'm Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor. Visit KenTheContractor.com for answers to plumbing, fencing, electrical, roofing, painting, heating, fireplaces, decks, and much more. Submit your questions or call anytime. Remember, KenTheContractor.com, where folks come for professional answers. You've been listening to Ken the Contractor. Every weekend at this time, Ken the Contractor, Ken Patterson is here taking your calls. Don't forget, you can friend Ken on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow him on Twitter at Ken Answers. And if you're looking for home improvement information at any time, go to KenTheContractor.com.